Hello and welcome to Studio Talks. My name's James Swift. I'm Josh McNaughton and our guest today is... Gav Cross. Hello, I'm a storyteller, a creative and an idiot. That's what it Brilliant. says on my... Uh, that's, what, that's what it says on the card in my wallet. <laughs> Brilliant. So, um, how are you doing in the new lockdown? Oh, isn't it Brilliant. Oh it's, it's been oh it's been fantastic. What a year we've all had. Um <laughs> well I'm one of those pesky freelancers kind of this, that, and the other. And so like many people, I can't complain. I had a <sighs> fell off the cliff at the beginning when everything when the diary empties in hours and then um been on oh it's like the x factor been on a journey <laughs> and, and actually now if i never leave the house again if i can maintain what i'm doing which is not necessarily possible i'd be all right i've heard that a lot where it's um where people say to begin with they were like oh my god how's life gonna and then nowadays people are like i don't actually have to ever leave the house ever again like hey <laughs> <laughs> it's been be really interesting i do feel sorry i don't i'm gonna say this but i absolutely don't i do feel sorry for people who own office buildings mm. because why do we need them anymore and i've done that job in my past i've been i've worked in managed office situations and it's a dismal dreary dreary thing sorry for those of you who do that every day or if you own office buildings i'm sure this is a big podcast in that sector um <laughs> but why would you why would you especially for lots of things where would you rather be well let's convert a little corner of this room and do this here and uh might even put trousers on again one day <laughs> that's what my friends have said because i've got a few of them that work in offices and they've been working at home throughout the whole lockdown and like yeah i don't think i'm gonna go back i'm just gonna stay mm. at home mm. and just see if they'll let me keep my job I, yeah, there is that thing isn't it and i do feel i think we know we're at the front of the truth of where the jobs are and I think everything's shifting and we still don't know. It's still, still uncertain. I've got friends who have proper jobs and they're at home and they're the job they've got. I think at one in particular, probably that's where they'll be forever. They're, the business, which is a big one, is very happy and they're very happy and they're mm. actually much more productive. And of course, the business are saving going to be end up saving loads of money as soon as their contracts are up but so who knows what happens next year maybe because we're terrible humans it'll all go away for one reason or another and we'll all go back to the awful people we were i hope so <laughs> you hope so <laughs> that was james there he's confirming he is an awful human being but confirming he is a human being. So, you know, win some, win some. <laughs> what are your plans for Christmas and will it be different for this year? Yes. I, um, so I don't know if you know, but my Christmas started in April. Right. Okay. Should I tell you about that? Yes, please. Sure. Cause that sounds really interesting. And my Christmas hopefully will finish at seven o'clock Christmas Eve. Right. And I'm sick of it. Okay. So, uh, so my main job is a storyteller, and um, as you'll may maybe see, that I am uh, in my early twenties of 
um, very slim built, brown skinned, shiny chin. No, I'm old, tall, broad, and very hairy. Can you confirm that, guys? I, I, I thought the first description was fine, but oh, yeah. that is so. James, you're back in the good books. Josh, you are now on the outside. That was a first test. Um, See, so ever I, since he said I was a horrible person, I was like, right, I need to. Okay. I need I'm going to play catch up. Um, I'm just going to think that whole deep. <laughs> it's the seesaw of emotions. Um, so, uh, so the last few years, it started. I was, I'm a stunt double for Father Christmas sometimes. Um, and uh, Father Christmas is incredibly busy, and you know, some of them sometimes, lots of times, it is him, uh, but he can't do everything, so sometimes I double as him, um, quite well because I've got the beard. And those awful ones who they don't have permission of Father Christmas, I do, he's actually my cousin, uh, <laughs> just uh, twice removed. Uh, from family parties I was outrageous I deserve to be removed mm. by him um he uh, so I I've been I've been a stunt double for a couple of years and he's been he was very busy in April and he wrote this letter to children about what was happening in lockdown it was a very reassuring letter and a friend of mine said can you get your cousin to read this letter and he couldn't because I couldn't get through to him so I did mm. and so I in April I was um um being uh, being my cousin oh nice but that actually ended up i ended up sending messages on behalf of my cousin to karate clubs in north america which oh. was very weird but i didn't want to promote or sell that because i didn't want to profiteer in a lockdown no. so i closed that down and then I've been standing in for my cousin since September. Well, I started a group which said, would you like my cousin to send you a message? I'm his online admin. And I, I invited a few of my friends in so he wouldn't look lonely when I opened it properly in November. And the following day, I haven't stopped working since. So right now, Father Christmas messages, Father Christmas story time, story time bedtime. I'm going to be doing every Monday and Friday on my page uh, free throughout december and then my christmas ends on christmas eve and i'm going to sleep that's good <laughs> do you have any plans for christmas day <laughs> yeah i do i've got my kids this year and so oh, we're gonna have a lovely time and um yeah it'll be I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because i'm very fortunate that as a freelancer and a creative my diary from you know, my diary up until the middle of September was drastically empty. Bits and pieces, lovely commissions from lovely arts organisations that got me to do online storytelling and make little videos. Small little oases of creative joy and little pots of money. I did manage to secure a bit of Arts Council support and I haven't paid my mortgage for six months with permission. Mm. So that got me, as a creative, that got me through um but now i am very fortunate that i have been working um from home since mid-september so it's a very it's a odd situation to be in because you know we freelancers we creatives we in, in this industry we never have anything certain lots of us not the terrible ones like me anyway um but i've had this certainty and it has saved me excellent <laughs> So what's your history with acting and uh, did you always want to act? Yeah, I don't call myself an actor. And I think that's that's not like faux 
of night you know it's like oh i'm i'm, I'm ever so humble guys um i do call myself a, so, I, so i'd call i'm a storyteller and it took me years to call myself that because i honestly thought to be a storyteller you had to be old with a beard and suddenly i was and also have a hat with a feather in it and be able to play a musical instrument and sing and i can't do those things hats don't fit my head my head's too big genuinely that's not even that's just a disappointment um and so I was a performer and but I ended up moving towards a storytelling approach in what I was doing which is a lot of drama facilitation in in and around education um I run a comedy club for kids I think we talk about that later um and so I, I, I kind of uh, called myself a performer and a creative because an actor to me was something else you had to be able to learn lines do plays uh, and I was hadn't done anything like that for a long time but my very quick journey like perhaps lots of people school from school plays through to youth theatre loved youth theatre but my brain said to me oh I think you'd be a, all right as a drama teacher which I was for a good long while in secondary so that was the journey I was on at the uh, parallel to that I've, I've always been a community performer practitioner artist so youth theatre mm. um uh, uh and uh summer schools and community plays and performances and then i kind of for for reasons i ended up doing that almost full time and that's been about 18 years now as a creative oh wow that's fast so it's a nebulous word isn't it but i like to use the term creative because if we get a little bit kind of like so I'm part of the creative industries, which is absolutely huge in the UK. Yeah. And we don't necessarily talk about that in schools. You know, we talk for some reason a lot about, and I've got nothing against them. I'm a big fan of what they do and their outcomes, like the fishing industry being someone who works in the fishing industry, which mm. is worth a, a, a few billion single figures, few billion to the UK economy. Us creative industry, we're worth 90 billion to the economy. So by identifying as a creative, I'm identifying as this industry, which is a huge contributor to what we do here. And it also means that as a creative, if somebody asked me to do something, I just lie and say, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I, I completely understand. And then you go away and learn, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 as you James said, those... drop um, his little bit of no. music <laughs> Go on, go on. No, um, when you said that, then like instantly, like a billion times in my life, someone said something, and I went, "Yeah, I can do that," and then like learn, learn it after saying I can do it. So yeah. that is a completely yeah. relatable thing. And that's the thing that we have to do in our lives, isn't it? Which is, you know, which makes the complexity of the last few months. What do you do? Or what do I do? I don't really know what I do, but. We'll anchor it on storyteller. Yes, that's a job. And we're all storytellers, really. And creative. We don't know what that means either, but that'll do. And idiot. Well, that's self-explanatory. <laughs> I think it takes a certain level of um, knowing yourself to be able to confidently say, I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful word it to me. And I know it has connotations. Um an idiot has is that from a theatrical point of view is and i know this it's got like hang-ups um, clinical hang-ups as well but you know the idiot is really important we 
you know, no one could watch King Lear without a little bit of the fool. No mm. king should not have a jester. No, yeah. you know, that um, an idiocy. And, and it comes from that notion that we, uh, um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Laurel and Hardy. I think mm. they're beautiful. And they are nothing, there's no better description than the fact that they are beautiful idiots. Because mm. we watch them and we go, oh, you idiots. And, mm. and, that's, and that, of course, is we accept the, their idiocy every time because what every, i don't know if you've watched any of that you know every most modern comedy borrows from it but they're, they're in their short films they are this at the beginning it all goes really badly wrong they hate each other and at the end they love each other again and it all resets mm. and then the next time we see them we know that it's all going to fall apart we know they're going to hate each other because they're idiots we know that both of them one doesn't know they're an idiot and thinks they're in charge and the other one doesn't know anything and it, but that's what we love and and i was talking about it this morning actually children in particular when we're young we love idiots i mean lots of grown-ups will say oh i don't like mr bean but loads and billions of people around the world do particularly children huge yeah. again with children the animation but mr bean is an idiot because we yeah. know we know he's going to press the button that says do not touch. Now it's okay. And we're safe when Mr. Bean does it. But if we're watching a live feed of a US president with a big red button that says do not touch, that's a, <laughs> that's a different thing. Yeah. But we want the idiot to press the button that says do not touch because we know it's all going to go wrong. Whilst at the same time, we might be saying, no, don't do that. We know, we shout at the idiot. We shout at the idiot. He's behind you. Yeah. Because the idiot goes, what? <laughs> He's behind you. What do you mean? You know, and then they turn and they're not there. And so we love those people because they're worse than us. <laughs> yeah. So I do like that character. And I do most of the stuff I do is family friendly, family focused, children and my persona perhaps is quite, you know, I'm a big fella and lots of people tell me, somebody told me for about three years that their daughter was frightened of me. Oh. And I, I did say one morning, well, if you say that every morning, every time I'm there, she might be. They stopped saying that and we, we got on very well. Um, kids know that I'm, I'm pretending. They buy into that straight away because kids from a very young age are very smart and very, very sophisticated. They are consumers of very sophisticated culture from a very early age. And that's why I like um, saying horrible things to them because they know I don't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> Only an idiot would take money from a family and then tell them they're awful. <laughs> Only an idiot would do that. So that means they will come back again. Um, can you explain funny looking kids and what is the origin of the show? Yeah. So funny looking kids is a show mostly in the before times. We did a monthly show. It's myself and a bunch of beautiful idiots from, well, we all live in Liverpool. Um, and we would do a monthly show at the blue coat in Liverpool. And really we call it alternative comedy for kids um and what it is it's like performers and sketch artists and puppeteer and writer and 
and we put on a monthly brand, mostly brand new material we used to do. Used to, it's really, it's right. We still talk, talk about it in the present tense, but it has, we did a couple of online things. So basically it's showing off to kids for a small amount of cash. Right. Okay. But it really, it came from, I did, uh, when, you know, everyone's got a podcast these days. These people yes. who do podcasts. James <laughs> oh, yeah. has got three, I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a podcast and I'm going to be one of those guys. I had a podcast, guys. Yeah. Back in the days when I had to explain what a podcast was. You had it before it was cool. <laughs> it's not cool, mate. It's not oh. cool. It's still not cool. <laughs> oh. it's just some. There's 10 people who earn money off of them and everyone else will. Um, <laughs> it's just the death of radio. That's why you're here. Uh, no. Um, the So, yeah, I, I started a podcast with a very good friend of mine because we wanted to do a podcast about the comedy we loved because I'm obsessed with comedy, but a particular, you know, I'm... I'm um, I love alternative comedy and very silly stuff and uh, non-mainstream, I suppose, whatever that means. And I got my friend to do it with me because I thought he knew about podcasts, but he didn't. Anyway, we call, we learned how to do it together. We called it funny looking. We mm. thought we were clever. We're looking for things that are funny. There you go. Uh, hey, we, we interviewed people like James Acaster before they were oh, famous. Nice. Um, <laughs> so this, this was years ago now. Anyway, um, and then I ended up doing other things. So I did like a live thing on Spreaker. So that became funny looking live. And then I did a festival of alternative comedy and Liverpool Comedy Festival. So that became the funny looking festival. Yeah. Um, and then my kids said to me, can we come and see anything? And I was like, no. I think, oh, no. So then I put on a kids comedy show, funny looking kids. Mm. And I picked people who I thought were just brilliant performers here in Liverpool, um, Rob and Lee and Liam and, and, and Alice and to do a show for kids. And we started in uh, 81 Runshaw Street and we kind of grew, which was nice. And now we do it. And we've done it in venues. And it is very, again, I was talking about it for, for hey, for another thing this morning. God, it's not just about you. Sorry. <laughs> um, and what it was, uh, I was doing a talk on, on children's performance and theatre and the person who asked me to do it had been to a funny looking kids and they remembered a couple of things we did, which were really super weird things they described, but they loved. But to us, we just, it was just what we do. We, mm. um, we kids love it when I'm horrible to them. Um, Liam eats things. <laughs> Alice is uh, just got this brilliant, uh, face and she is super silly and we've got all these recurring characters rob bond brings thaddeus bent lee who's rubbish shakespeare company he's he's got this wealth of characters and he's very physical and i host it and we we grew a very loyal audience and what we always wanted it to be as well was funny for the family the whole family so that even mm. though we targeted it at seven plus and we said if you like horrible histories you might like this We've only had two walkouts when we got it a bit wrong. We went a bit right. too far. <laughs> and that's only because we, it went dark. Um, mm. But we, you know, we say silly things. We say serious things. We, we're not, I like things that, that, you know, you know, you can watch things as a whole family and you're laughing at something when you're a kid, perhaps that when you watch it back, when you're a bit older, you go, why was I laughing at that? That's the funny bit. Mm. 
But if you can hit that where you're different people are laughing at different times at different things. So you're kind of like, we'll, we'll say, we'll do this. Someone will fall over and that'll make them laugh. Someone will make a reference to Radio 4, that'll make them laugh. Someone will say poo, that'll make them laugh. Uh, someone will shout at a kid right in their face. But don't worry, we set it up because it's actually my kid. That might make nobody laugh, mm. <laughs> but it makes me laugh. Um, and just do, you know, from beautiful sketches, monologues, um, skits. I do. I like playing game shows where it all goes wrong and it's a noise and it's a chaos and it's a cacophony and we miss it. <laughs> Brilliant. That's, I don't know if that answers anything. I just enjoy no, talking. Definitely. I, I, I like, I've seen, I think I've seen one funny looking thing that you did, uh, one funny looking kids you did at the studio. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was back now. That was and then, years. yeah, it's lovely. I also saw um the one of the rubber Shakespeare's. I thought I, just, oh, I yeah, always yeah. thought that was part of it. Um, right. so no, it's um, I've always kind of wondered what the what the background of that was. It is. Um, I will. I'll say. Uh, let's see. I'll be a bit provocative. Um, <laughs> Liverpool has a, a brilliant comedy scene, but it is quite mainstream. Lots mm. of clubs, and lots. It's changing, and I hope it will. But um. Traditionally, it was built on the kind of straight white male presenting three guys and a microphone and one. And but the alternative comedy and also some quite interesting alternatives. So, so the people you might see at a, a weird little comedy festival didn't wouldn't bring their tours to Liverpool because it didn't. There wasn't really an alternative comedy scene. Now Rob and Lee and Alice and Liam they were part of a little alternative comedy scene as well, and things come and go. So we couldn't get a grown-up. Have you heard this? Um, so I did. I did this monthly funny-looking presents. Everything's funny-looking. So the last people I had on were a, uh, um, a duo called uh, the Delightful Sausage. I don't know if you've heard of them at all. No, no. Well, they're brilliant. They're, I can really recommend them. And we've had them at funny-looking events, things like that. But they're, so they're now like Amy is doing sketch on TV. They're both writing. They've got a brilliant podcast themselves. It's very. Um, it's uh, uh, and they, and they um, got nominated at Ed, for Edinburgh. The the last gig I did was with them, where I ended up basically um, paying them fifty quid to do a performance because <laughs> I was losing because we couldn't find an alternative comedy audience. Mm. So we we still had all these desires and interest in doing it. So we thought, well, why don't we just do it for families and grow mm. it from there? And and we've grown to the point where we were just, we, we're fortunate enough to be selling out. At the blue coat before the world um, died screaming, mm. and starting to take it to places and tour and have a little tour show. I think what we brought to uh, studio was what our tour show then, and we never really got because you can't because I the work I do as a storyteller I can be a part of a circuit of of storytelling as th of theatre for families in libraries and small venues but actually the idea of taking comedy i think the perception that comedy is for friday nights and it's aggressive we're aggressive it's like this it's that and we don't think it's those things mm. uh we think it's for everyone and we think it's um you know let's just laugh so our it would be lovely to to get that out there but um when we all wake up again mm. that's, i sound quite Wake up, sheeple. 
I'm not that person. <laughs> I am not that person. <laughs> so when did you first get interested with storytelling? Uh, I suppose I uh, realized early on that I loved the sound of my own voice. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to do something with that. I think perhaps to be, not to be glib about it as being a teacher is a storyteller. I think mm. the good, the teachers I remembered were the ones who didn't just tell me things. They told me things. Right. Okay. The teachers that drew you in to a world that painted pictures my uh you know we perhaps there's one or two teachers that you remember and as a drama teacher it's absolutely was my job i you know it's a pretty beautiful job to have because yes everybody in my school was forced to do drama in you know key stage three but as long as you're not right stand up and act do it better as long as you're kind of drawing people on a journey with you most people enjoy it mm. and then you get to a point where the kids who want to do it choose to work with you. So no one's forced to do GCSE drama and A-level theatre studies and drama. So suddenly your week is full of people who want to be in your subject. It might be for you, not for me, but for the... So it's a beautiful job where, you know, we're all performing, all teachers perform, anybody who works in a shop is performing. Mm. You know, I don't speak like this when my to my kids. This is my, it's not, it's not my um, phone voice, but, you know, my tone and the way I'm doing it. So if I was talking to my kids, so what would you like for tea? Do you want a fish finger sandwich or should we go for ravioli? You know, of course, my kids go, you're right, you're right, Dad. So we have a storyteller voice for our audience and that audience might be you know when the neighbor knocks on the door or when you're going to the co-op or when you're standing in front of people speaking so mm. the, that that always interested me because I, sometimes i would draw people into my lessons through story through devising through character and other times if i was very because i was a young teacher very hungover i'd just give them a script and say act it out <laughs> <laughs> so that interested me and then as a kind of workshop drama practitioner facilitator, I would often work through story and make stories happen. I would perform at workshops instead of standing at the front and go, right, let's do a warm up game now. I'll throw you a bean bag and say your name or something. Um, that's not my style. My, you know, it was about, okay, let's go on this. What's if a school would ask me to do a workshop on the Vikings, well, there's no mm. point me telling them about the Vikings, we might as well become a Viking. And so from the start, you know, that I'm Ragnar, whatever it might be. So mm. that I was started, and like anything, and I can see the guitars there, and I'm sure you, I'm sure both of you have hidden talents somewhere. But when you start doing something, you start finding little hooks, and then you're, well, that worked, I'll say it in there. Oh, that worked. So, so suddenly you end up with these very off the cuff sounding, but highly polished little moments of conversation that even though they're functional things, people are listening to you. Cause I also, my other hat, I'm a trainer, public sector trainer on in services. And so people would get me to do things cause they say, Oh no, we, we, we do learn, but we also laugh. Mm. Um, and so that's a quite a good way. They don't get me to do the serious stuff. It is quite serious, actually, what I 
but I do. Um, because that is story to communication. Because we all know that if you know if we have to go and do something funk, some kind of functional training. I know what's one I've done recently. First aid. I did first aid last year. We if did the, that tra- the start of the year, don't we? There you go. So if you've got a trainer, you've got there for two days and they're just tedious. Two things, it just goes on and on and on. You have horrible time and you don't learn anything. However, if you've got someone who's going to take you on a journey and this is what you do when they're when they're slowly dying in front of you. Come on, kids, let's have fun. <laughs> and whatever it is, um, someone who into, is drawing you into the world because they are communicating in a particular way, then you learn more as well. Hmm. So, and then about... So then I started, well, I, I, people started asking me to do storytelling sessions. Um, you know, could you come and tell us a story? And I just, they just morphed into shows. And mm. so now I've got this ability, hopefully to grow a little world of my own stories. But it's quite, you know, I, I love it because it's just me, but I also, I do like collaborative work. So that's why my storytelling is just me. My storytelling shows is just me, but the funny looking is about working in partnership with people. And that's, and that is uh, a delight as well. This is going to sound like a weird question. Don't ask it then. Okay. Oh, next question. No, <laughs> but like um, how much of your storytelling is improvised and how much of it is wrote? Uh, that is a good question. Right. I don't write right, okay. in terms of fingers on keyboards. Um, I'm a, uh, um, so, so for instance, one of the things that schools, primary schools, I ended up working a lot in, wanted me to do was kind of in, inspire writing. Okay, they want me to inspire writing, perhaps. Mm. So I always go and fall into. I love traditional tales, and because they're super weird and terrible. And so mm. what I would do would, would be to find something and give it a twist. And so. I can do so if I'm telling a story in a school and somebody says something to me and I spark a response that gets a laugh. If I can, I'll try and remember that. And then the next time that comes up, I can say that again and add on it. So writing comes from improvisation really for me to the point where that will spin and grow. But that means that if I don't record something, I might not remember it. Um, but I now have recordings of these shows and little notes, but they're never full sentence writing. I can, can't do that. But I, um, I can look at a 10 bullet points and then I can probably talk for an hour. And, you know, you know, I don't know if you ever did any revision. I was never very good at it. But when if I did do it, I'd try and turn a that information into 10 bullet points and then i try and turn those 10 bullet points into one so that if i then looked at five bullet points it you know my brain would hopefully go oh that's oh do you remember all these things and i think that's the same with me so if you wind me up and set me off and you know if i i might ask you some questions who's it for how old is it Mm. how old are they what do you want me to do how do you want them to feel then i my then I'll just start. If you tell me this, I've got five minutes to tell a story. I'll tell a story in five minutes. If you tell me I've got 15 minutes, I can tell the same story in 15 minutes because I know that I've got these spare bullet points that I can go off on and come back to. As long as I come back 
to the sequential order of my story, I can go off. And that's what's fun when it's when I'm with real people. Because I'm going to finish with a story for you, but it's much more fun when I've got someone in front of me. I yeah. love it when a, when a young person throws me a curveball, uh, mm. you know, some kind of, not interruption, because that's a negative word, some kind of intervention maybe, because then that, you can go off and play. And if someone says something interesting, I can always go back to that. But I always know at some point I'm going to go on to bullet point three. Okay. So that's how I, how, and I think that's the same with, with anybody who's public speaking or speaking. No one likes the best man, woman, person speech when someone's reading it. What they like is someone who looks like they're winging it, mm. but actually has a, has a confidence in what they say. So I think I, ha I am polished and I look like I'm winging it. Right, okay. I know that I can dig myself out of the hole by carrying on with the story. Mm. Chaos. I love chaos. Brilliant. Um, how important is humour to storytelling? Uh, for me, it's it, if it, it, for me absolutely. Um, my, I have lots. I don't know many storytellers actually. I know some, and I know some of them. It's a very serious ancient art form that I'm not very good at. The serious ancient thing. I have. I am in, in awe of my folklore storytelling colleagues who have. 50 stories from 50 different folk uh, experiences in their heads and they can tell and tell and tell. Mm. I, I don't have that for lots of reasons. Um, 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 but I, I think I'm very needy. Right. And that need is I want people to like me. But like any performer... Um, are you are you performers musicians yourselves? Sorry, I haven't done the research. Um, I'm not weird. Go on, James. <laughs> no, um, I, I'm not. No, yeah, I do. I do. I do music. Yeah. So you'll stand there performing, and you might have, let's say, I mean, I'm guessing you'll have four or five people in front of you. No, so you got fifty people in front of you, and 40, <laughs> 40, 49 of them are loving it. Yeah. Your brain does not acknowledge the forty nine people loving it. What yep. your brain does is it finds the one person who seems to be standing there, arms folding, hating your very existence. Yeah. None of that might be true. But then what happens for me, and I think a few other people, my brain goes, get them, get them, get them, make them laugh, make them love you, right, get okay. them. And if you can make it, you know, and I've had conversations with all, some, I've, you know, like lots of performers, you've had people come up saying, oh, so sorry, I was... Um, I really enjoyed that, uh, but I've been a bit, a bit distracted. And inside you're screaming, well, just smile then. But then on the outside, you go, oh, well, I'm glad you did. Because your brain tricks you. Um, so if I can make people laugh, and I like making people laugh for different things. I just I did a performance recently at Norton Priory. Okay. It, it was like in the between lockdowns. Um, we did some live storytelling, socially distanced, and it was lovely. And I was telling... My, I was doing my show, Twisted Tales for Terrible Children, on Halloween. It was wonderful. And again, I was between bullet points. Let's be technical about it. And for some reason, I went on like a like a 30 second cold zack about the radio show, The Moral Maze on Radio 4. And I just said a few things about how they get awful people on. and aren't. Anyway, it was a 30 second cold zack where, where 
90% of the audience were like, huh? But 10% were really laughing. Mm. And that's enough for me because I was straight back onto the next bullet point where everyone you know, is a bit more, you know, but that's, it's like, okay, I've got them. I've made, and I genuinely think it was because there was somebody who was a bit arm foldy and I made them laugh with a Radio 4 Moral Maze reference. So my brain went, right, forget them. You've made them laugh. That's okay. Let's go get back to the kids, Gav. Get back to the kids. See, that would be the thing that ended the thing, for me, like the show, show for me. If there was, that's usually like, if I notice one person and usually it's more than one person, but like yeah. if I notice like a couple of people who aren't so much into it, yeah, my, the rest of the, gig, the, the, the show is me kind of going, Right. Well, this is this is nothing. <laughs> well, that's where the creative brain fails us and fuels us, because I've not met anyone I genuinely value and respect f- who hasn't got that fear. Anyone, perhaps, someone who goes on and goes, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks. Mm. That's either not true or they are clinically problematic. Um, yeah. Of course you care because you want to be whatever version of entertaining that is. And that entertaining version might be thoughtful. You might want to make them laugh. You might want to make them think, feel. You might want to make them feel valued. You might want to frighten them, Mm. whatever your intention is. But you want them to connect with you. And whether that be through music, poetry, dance, storytelling, comedy, painting, photography, whatever our creative form is it might be you know giving a lecture even you know um we we want someone to feel part of that and so the imposter syndrome of a creative is both the fuel i i I, I don't um you know i know we're not it's not like that kind of in-depth podcast i'm not you know (laughs) you're very light fluff lads um no um it's you know if 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 we're constantly thinking i'm failing them i'm failing them mm. then we will but if there's a little bit goes i need to up my game a little bit i need to then that's a not a it's not unhealthy i think mm. for me personally you know I think, and um you got it i think you kind of got in one earlier when you said that um i think you said that you personally just want to be liked i think that's a common thing <laughs> within humanity where it's yeah it's glib but like... true yeah well I, I want somebody well i, I need someone to leave not everyone i need enough people to leave and go i enjoyed that i'm going to do one of a few things i'm going to follow them Mm. i'm going to recommend them i'm going to uh, come back i'm going to remember this and you know just the the whatever whichever one it is you know passive or active that's your aspiration you want to do no harm and you want people to have left enriched in some way right uh and and you know if we don't do that then we're just just i don't know why we're doing it i do know you know obviously we can get to a more philosophical conversation about the value of art do we do the art and creativity for us or for them Mm. there's a middle ground for what us performers that need to take an audience on a journey with i mean i'd love to be able to be a an abstract artist that makes a canvas or an object and people go, that's amazing, you know, um, but I'm not, I'm a, a hack that needs people to enjoy what I'm doing. Right. You could have said no, Gav. I know, I nodded, I nodded and I was like, I mean, 
no. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a really fine line, isn't it? Because I have mm. to have enough confidence to to do what I'm doing, and I'm not. It's an awful thing because the bit that I think a lot of creatives are not good at is knocking on someone's door and saying, "I'm this. I've got this. I think you'll like it." That's the bit I'm not good at. No. And no. very often, if people ask me to do things, I'll probably say, "Oh no, I can't do that. Really, I don't know." No, it's not for mm. me. And then you'd kind of reminded constantly, you know, we all we're all quite fragile, aren't we, as human beings? So we do mm. need a little bit, but too much of it. You know, we know that we know that in society, if someone is constantly told how brilliant they are, they forget how brilliant they actually are. And then that, they just trade on. on Not that I've ever experienced that. Again, I think I think that's a really common thing where when you've just said about um, you being like a hack and stuff like I think. It's it's easier to simple thing what you actually do down and say like yeah. oh, oh I just do this yeah. like me I say oh I just play guitar it's fine and like where people will say well no you can play guitar and blah 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 yeah, I'm yeah. like well it's it's easier for I mean I guess it's easier for my ego to be like well it's yeah. not that good do you, do you um, think I mean I I do think about things like this we kind of we do play ourselves down we are humble and I'm not to, I don't know but do you think that maybe as it, it, you know we might look at let's say for instance. We look at Americans, right? And an America, we know, we know, you know, we have a, a, a stereotypical view of America. I'm really good at this. I'm, mm. oh, I'm really. In, this is going really well. And we Brits will go, oh, who do they think? <laughs> no, 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 no. We will tell you if you're good at this. Right. Whereas in Britain, a lot of us like, well, if you like it, I'm really grateful. So. You obviously did a lot of um, audience participation yeah. um, through Twister Tells and the other it. shows at the studio. Um, do you enjoy or dread it? And what has been your most memorable piece uh, of um, audience participation? I personally love it. And I've right. probably said this a couple of times already. I love the chaos of that. I am not... That doesn't frighten me. Lots of people... Yeah. I was talking to people today who... That, that what they said was because when we think of audience participation we do think of panto which is no bad thing yeah um kids love audience participation kids love being part not all of them of course and it's about picking on and i use that phrase appropriately is that picking on the right ones the ones who are and i call it up for the game of it mm. if they know the game there's no point in me picking the timid frightened child and then shouting at them but I might be horrible to the kid that's been horrible. I right. might, and I, I, and you know, and I think some of the people who've made me laugh the most over the years, and we're not talking about a comedian putting someone down. We're talking about taking on board, owning what someone says, and turning it around, either to look terrible or to to make people laugh or to even make a young person feel quite valued by contributing. I love the chaos. We've, we've followed looking kids in particular. We thrive on it. Um, so the, uh, to, 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 two quick examples. Um, I love making game shows that all go wrong. Um, and then I think maybe you saw me do, I'm trying to think of what that show was you saw me do the water game which is now drinking game so I like taking mm. drinking games and playing drinking games without alcohol can I add <laughs> uh, with seven year olds um, 
and the chaos and then sometimes some kids get very upset with me because they've lost now i could if i was a nice person say you did very very well but i've also set up the whole game which is there are going to be one there's going to be one winner and four losers (laughs) and if you lose you leave you go you've lost (laughs) okay so do not volunteer yourself if the only thing you want to be is a winner, because you know, so that me that then allows me to, to when when the kids argue with me, say you've lost, you're a loser, leave, leave. <laughs> I can be horrible because I've kind of created and negotiated that already. So my favourite times when I've played that game is when a when a small small child volunteers, mm. and some children are small, but they're not that li- they're not that young. And I'll just when a tiny tiny child volunteers, and it's like part way through saying you know it's chaos and horrible and i say to them hang on a minute do you have permission from your parents because i am going to be horrible to you mm. and you look at the parents and the parents you know like yeah 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 <laughs> and the kid looks at you like then yeah 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 and so that so i really enjoy that moment especially if they start biting back where i can be six foot one to a three foot child and lean down and just go you've lost and if the audience go, ah, oh, then I can turn on the audience. Why are you showing this child pity? Pity is the worst <laughs> emotion. All I am is honest. Your pity take does nothing. So, you know, you can play that. So whatever the route. Yeah. So I've got, so I've got um, a couple of things in, that I, where I, depending on the child might say this or say that. I've got two options. The route I can go. If they're up for the game and, and bite back, then I can bite into them if they're not up for the game i can bite the audience (laughs) right okay i love the chaos i love it we did um um we did do a thing well two of the two of the uh uh two of them of the team did a thing where i can't remember what the gag was but it involved throwing sweets on wrapped sweets on the floor right okay and that meant three quarters of the children in the audience ran out of their seat, picked up the sweets, and it ended up them f- almost fighting this person for more sweets. <laughs> but brilliantly, the performer, who I will not name um, because it wouldn't be fair on Lee, um, <laughs> had hit the things he wanted to say. And he just kept saying to begin with, no, not yet. No, not yet. You've just thrown sweets on the floor, mate. What do you want them to do? <laughs> so once they lent into that chaos, it, I think it did end up with one of them getting a good kick in mm. from the kids, but that was worth it in the end. Um, so I think if you enjoy that kind of thing, then um, you can really play with it. Excellent. Is there ever like a like a fear of the? Well, I don't want to say heck. Oh, I don't want to say fear of the heckle, but like, would you kind of like? Oh, I don't really. Because the thing is, with a lot of the shows with kids, for example, in in um particular, they seem to like not want to stop heckle him back. Yes, I think you have to. Again, I think maybe. So there are techniques and performance styles and approaches. So if you establish, and again, if we're doing funny-looking kids, because so I'm the host, so I'm allowed to be the one that says no, right? Okay. Stop. 
I could be a teacher. I could be a parent. I can nurture. I can tell. If I'm on my own, it's about us. It's different. You know, our young people are very sophisticated. They understand signs. So when it goes chaos at funny looking kids, it's because we are, other than that once, I think, we are kind of allowing it. But they know the they know that they know when it's right and they know when it's wrong. So if I'm telling a story, so I if I'm doing a show, I want one story to be silly with lots of audience participation, and then individual focus points. Actually, the kids know that the young people know that they are very strong readers of signs and symbols. They are immersed in story. They are told stories they are much more sophisticated about understanding their role as being part of the narrative perhaps than grown-ups hence and also the difference between you you, you know you're feathered around the word heckling you mm. know kids don't heckle they are get involved hecklers invariably heckle because they are uh, drunk right, so they okay. don't their filters are off kids mm can turn their filters off but they can they know when to switch them back on again they're actually very and if you and again you use techniques and that's about you know you know leaning into the story slowing the story down those are signs and the kids know if you've got the right dynamic between you and the audience an audience knows i don't mean it's kids always sounds a bit dismissive it's not it's a it's a term of endearment for the little idiots Mm. um your audience, if you've got a good dynamic, knows that when you slow, when you stop, when you change, when you are signalling that this, this is a different moment. Your mm. audience knows. They take the cue. And if they don't, there are techniques that you can use. So, you know, again, you know, perhaps going back to the analogy of school. I know some people had a terrible time at school but and hated all teachers um but you also know i'm talking stereotypes the teachers that were really dangerous were the ones that didn't ever shout right and you know that when you know if it was all kicking off a little bit if that teacher at the front just went that's enough everyone goes all right fair enough uh but then some teachers who say right that's enough stop it now stop stop right pack it in and then it'll just carry on but if you yeah. and that's what goes back to this idea that we are all performers we are all storytellers we can all and as long as people are picking up the signs and signals most of the time of course it goes wrong sometimes and you can you know i, I think somebody reminded me recently it's very strange it's just popped into my head this year somebody reminded me of a youth theater show i was in where i was heckled constantly by my nan wow okay <laughs> all the way through the show she kept commenting and it was a beautiful youth theatre with beautiful people. And apparently it it's very remembered because I'm playing a character that was eating. eating. I, I look like someone that eats well. And it was all quiet. And then I just heard, I remember it vividly. Oh, he likes cheese. Oh, <laughs> he does like cheese. Yeah. Like, so it's just like, oh, my God. And, of course, being 15 at the time, I couldn't interject. Now... It would be, yes, I do like cheese. I absolutely do. I don't need you, my inner voice, telling me whatever the technique is. Then I just died inside and I've never recovered. I could have been. I could have been someone, guys. I could have been, but for my nan heckling me. (laughs) God bless her. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're going to have fun editing this. I'm glad James edits it, not me. <laughs> Do you want me to pause every other sentence so you can cut things out? <laughs> if you could. Just every other word, if you could. What are your plans for shows in 2021 and how can people find you online? Um, uh, 2021 will be really interesting because we're not part we're not in the great reset yet no we're in the great uncertainty still um the journey that i've been on oh again back to the x factor um earlier you said um <laughs> you said that what you said the journey i've been on i it's like i'm on the x factor i thought you said i've been on the x factor and i was like Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I, had, I was invited, like lots of most performers this year, to to go on to um, Britain's Got Talent. Right. Okay. Uh, then they're not my people. No. Good. Good. Because uh, um, uh, then I said, "Oh, thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's interesting. So, w- will I get paid, or is this? In- oh, no, no. We're inviting you. So, oh, no, I, I shall decline them. Because um, basically, that, that's what they do. They 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 find people they're interested in. Uh, to be uh, disposable anyway that's a different conversation 2021 uh right uh, right so i've been doing moving things online i'm hoping to get some support and i shall find out soon to 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 be able to be pandemic resistant that the idea being that if i say i arrange a tour to you know i'm part of a, the rural touring network that i do so I, I, last year i went on tour in the northwest for a children's uh, festival called big imaginations and well we'll say we're all going to lockdown again that's then everyone everything gets cancelled but in the great reset it may be that if you buy a fat you know they're usually cheap tickets to see gav cross do his storytelling in your library community hall school or whatever if for whatever reason you can't go there then it will probably say if we can't do it then here's a link it'll be it'll go to zoom so i'm learning how to do more online storytelling so what i've been doing with my shows already you know my to to use an analogy i suppose i've got these shows that exist they're these square things online is a round hole <laughs> so i can chip the edges off and i can get it through but i want to, what next year i want to make round stories that fit into the online world that are so i'm not going to be playing Fortnite, but i am interested in streaming right, okay. streaming storytelling and so um so i you know i've, I've been i'm going to learn how to use technology to be able to stream multiple cameras so oh. that I can tell a story, do the offside to another char- character, so, you know, here. Maybe if I'm sto- reading a book, can I have another camera that if I open it, just flips and it looks at the image. So play with the form. So that's what I want 2021 to be. Hopefully we're all up and running again. But I think any creative industry practitioner knows that we've got a long tail we're the last to go back to work yes why what whatever your if if i was asked to do a gig with a in a you know a stand-up comedy gig in a room that was standing capacity of 100 
the hundred people that would turn up to, to that tomorrow, I do not want to perform to. Mm. Yeah. If that if there were thirty people, then I'll perform perform to them because they, you know, for whatever, for whatever reason they're spread out. Um, and what? Um, but that's not viable for venues. So our long that's why our industry, creative industry, and I know. I mean, it's, I, I, genuinely, I've been very, very heart warmed by the community drive that the studio has had to keep people connected. But we know we've got to get back to some sense of normality to be viable. You know, there are beautiful theatre companies that don't get any funding. Their, their money comes almost entirely from tickets sold and they can't tell sick tickets, sell tickets. So next year... Can I, I want to be able to offer myself as a storyteller, but if I can't come to you, then you can come to me online. And mm. when you come to me online, it's not just me at you. It's a bit more than that. I want to play with the chaos that I can create in a room. So how do I manage the chaos in Zoom? How do I, um, you know, how can I do things with other performers that's interesting and mm. but they're not in the room with me so that's what i'm going to spend 2021 doing um Excellent. hopefully right i'm glad you found like a um a way of doing it online well i've got my cousin father christmas has give, gifted me a little group of five thousand people since september mm. and if i can do enough that draws them from him into you know father christmas into me gav cross then and i've been using a model this year which has been free pay what you want mm. um so using one of these it's a coffee the donation website and so to me it's worked well because if you you know the things i've done about a third of people don't give anything and that's okay because mm you hope that's for the right reasons, which is it's not right for them right now. A third of people have given something and that's been brilliant. And a third of people have been generous, roughly, shall we say. So actually in it's been, it's worked for me and I want what I do to be seen. I need to earn, but I don't, you know, we all have to be reasonable about it. So if I can do a piece and perform and that is on the journey of being what I would get if I was doing it in their place physically, then I have saved my travel. I have saved time and energy and costs. Mm. So I'm winning, aren't I? Exactly. exactly yeah. Yeah. Right. So where can people find you online? Um, so Gav cross, that's me. Uh, Facebook is where I'm, because uh, it's not cool kids don't go to facebook mm. uh faith gav cross storyteller don't click on my real profile you you I do, that's not right because <laughs> i'm just angry and an old angry man on that railing against society a uh, gav cross storyteller on facebook gav cross on twitter and instagram um and gavcross.co.uk for a very bad website which i don't update um, but the Gavcross Storyteller is where I'm learning how to offer the free storytelling, um, which is which is exciting. Excellent. Cheers. Um, so, 
ending would you like to read a story i'll tell you a story i'll tell you a quick story (laughs) should do you want to make a seasonal christmas story christmasy it's not christmasy at all um oh let me start that again edit (laughs) excuse me Uh, uh right okay so actually this i think i've told this story at the studio last year so if you were at twisted christmas tales you might have heard this one but i'll tell you a shorter version of it um i love stories that don't fully give you the answers so if you could come up to, with the answer to this question uh you can put it on the back of a, uh, a postcard and send it to bbc tv center wood lane uh, now this is a story of a snowman uh i love snowmen snow people um, my childhood memories of making snowmen, a rare thing, we are a temperate island, it very often ends in tears, doesn't it? Because mm. you make a snowman and your hands get cold and you go home and you're crying uh, enough to get hot chocolate out of your family. It's what really warms my hands. <laughs> but who cares about the snowman? Now, in the but in reality, we make this rancid thing out in our back garden. But in, re- in the stories, we walk across the fields to the top of the hill where the snow falls in soft, undulating drifts. No one has been there turning the snow into a sludgy mess, ruining the picture book. No, this is beautiful snow. And we make this snowman and we have we are wealthy enough to have a have a, a scarf and a hat to spare and to hand and one of grandpa's old pipes that's what the storybooks say anyway we make this snowman and we find these pieces of coal that happen to be in our pocket and a perfectly shaped twig for a mouth and a carrot for a nose and this beautiful snowman glistens and we Uh, slide back down the field to the warming arms of our beloved family and we tuck up under a blanket around the fire and then we forget about these snowmen now better storytellers than i will tell a story of it coming to life and a beautiful uh, experience no no not this one this is a not a very happy snowman. The carrot is now graying and drooping. One of the pieces of coal has fallen. It has one eye. The mouth has slipped to a sneer and the snowman is not happy. It's been abandoned. The snowman does wake up, but like most of us in the morning, This is a very grumpy snowman. And he starts to shuffle down the hill with a thump, thump, thumpity thump, with a clump, clump, clumpity clump. I don't know about you, but that shuffling movement that a snowman will have to use to move, to me, is absolutely terrifying. And if you looked up, and you saw this object shuffling its way across, you would not take it by the hand and fly into the sky. You would run. But the little old man outside his cottage ignored the clump, clump, clumpity clump. 
until this twig-sticked finger said, Oi, you, you stupid, stinky old human, I am cold. A talking snowman. Well, of course he's cold. Of course he's cold. He's a snow. I am cold. You've got a nice, you've got a nice uh, jacket there. Give me that nice jacket. Put it, put it on me. I'm cold. I don't like it. I've been left at the top of the hill. The old man, terrified, of course, handed over the jacket. And off the snowmen went further and further down the hill towards the village to find these children that made it clump clump clumpity clump you you stinky old woman at the edge of the you know the where the stinky old people live in stories not in reality no if there are old people listening to this i do not think you are stinky and if you are i'm sure there's a good reason for it the um uh this in the story don't please if you are affected or offended by anything in this story then uh please find someone to talk to I, I have no interest. You stinky old lady. That's a nice shawl. Looks warm. And this jacket's not enough. It's not enough. Give me that shawl. Give me. I don't want to give it to you. I'll get cold. I don't care. So, you know, when I, when I tell this story for real, I do play the grumpy snowman. I've got the face for it. And this is at this point where I get to look at a child and start being really horrible to them, which I really enjoy. Clump, clump, clumpity clump, the snowman heads further into the town and they see a child with gloves. Those soft, mittenly knitted uh, gloves that you see again in storybooks and we know the reality. Woolen mittens, pointless, and they get soggy and horrible and our fingers freeze and probably fall off. That's what happened to me as a child anyway. That is not true. Or is it? No, it's not. It's not. Or is it? Well, that's that's not for you to know. The child hands over the gloves, but it's not enough. A glove, a shawl, a jacket. It's not enough. The snowman sees a house at the edge of this village. The wisest person of the village lives. And of course, as we all know, within a village, the wisest person is always the teacher. The snowman goes up to the door and knocks on the door with a bash and the teacher opens it and bats not an eye looking at this terrifying visage don't think about it if you are a child what i do not want you to think about right now is a terrifying snowman with a gray shriveled nose one eye a sneering mouth stolen clothes bashing at your door bashing at your door as you sleep soft safe and warm in your beds do not think about this happening tonight just sleep well you'll be fine hello says the teacher i'm cold says the snowman you are a snowman i don't need your quick i'm cold what are you going to do about it well come in come in in the snowman came make yourself comfortable i was just having some dinner would you like a bowl of soup yes i would like a bowl of soup make yourself comfy on the sofa tuck yourself in there there's some blankets the fire is roaring get the soup get me the soup and warm me up the teacher went and before they went they saw looked out the window and saw the child whose gloves had been stolen the stinky old woman the dirty old man it just she invited them in and said look come in come in Let's let's work together. Teachers, annoyingly supportive. Would you like a bowl of soup? She said to these cold three. They said, yes, good. 
She went to the kitchen and came back with the four bowls of soup. One for the child, one for the old lady, one for the gentleman and one spare bowl. And they looked around. The snowman had hidden themselves. The snowman was gone. But for some strange reason, there in front of the fire, a soggy pair of gloves, a soggy shawl, and a soggy jacket. Well, I'll have this bowl of soup, said the teacher, and we'll dry everything off for you. And I don't know what happened to that snowman, kids. Maybe it's behind your curtains. Maybe the next time it snows, it'll be at your back door. I highly doubt it, but I can't guarantee it. Thank you very much. Let's look forward to some snow. <laughs> thank you for that. That was absolutely that was, great, that was excellent. Um, thank you for thank you for doing this today. It's been absolutely My amazing. Pleasure. Um, My I hope, pleasure. I hope you have a really nice Christmas as well. I hope the same to half of you two, and <laughs> and all of the listeners. I like to think we but we're all like yeah, I know. I just want to... <laughs> I'm not gonna you you know which one I mean. You know. <laughs> Everyone does. We've talked about it, the audience and I. All the listeners and I know which one of you I was referring to then. <laughs> and they know why, and they are all waiting for your apology. Go on, sorry. Apologize. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, well, I'm not not I'm not here. It's not for me. Thank you very much. This is a genuine pleasure to be invited on this. I am a great admirer of the studio i'm a great admirer and this sounds glib and this is the first honest thing i've said i've um everything else was lies it's not even my <laughs> real name um I've, uh, the way that you have continued as a as a group of brilliant people to make things to share to connect has is genuinely inspirational and um i will always hold the studio in witness in very high regards all of that sounds, considering everything else I do, all of that sounds not real, but I actually meant that. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, thank you again. Thank you. I'll, I'll see you soon. You take care.